Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We continue our Tartan Talk series with our second straight on-site recording. This time we were at the Keepers of the Green golf outing at the Golf Club of Dublin outside of Columbus, and we joined Dr. Michael Hertzen and his son, Dr. Christopher Hertzen, to talk about a whole bunch of things going on in the industry, including an exciting year for their firm and their family. But before we get going with the Hertzens, we'd like to thank Better Billy Bunker for supporting this podcast. Better Billy Bunker is not only a big supporter of the American Society of Golf Course Architects, Better Billy Bunker supports a whole bunch of industry efforts and initiatives, including the work of golf course superintendents. In fact, we saw Todd and Jerry from the Better Billy Bunker team at the Keepers of the Green outing. So it's always great seeing them supporting an industry event and catching up with them. And it was also great catching up with the Hertzens. So Dr. Hertzen and Chris, thanks for having us out here at the Golf Club of Dublin for the Keepers of the Green outing. And I think the first thing we have to ask about is just explain what Keepers of the Green is and who it benefits. Keepers of the Green is a philanthropic organization that's based in St. Andrews, Scotland. Uh, and uh, we heard about it because we wanted to uh, do something with golf that could give back to charity organizations. So we formed a chapter in Ohio. There's a chapter in Texas. So it's the only two in the United States. And people join uh, Keepers of the Green uh, for life. They get a set of clubs. It's five clubs, a long-nosed wood, three irons, and a putter from about the 1880s. We play the Keepers of the Green Championship, which we did today. And we have a little claret, uh, you know, silver claret wine jug that we award as a trophy that's emblematic of like the, the uh, British Open. And um, it's just to have a lot of fun. But the real purpose of it is to raise money for charitable organizations. And this year was a, a special forces family support uh, organization. And it was a Jack Kidwell scholarship who was my mentor. And it's usually a turf grass scholarship. And then the third thing was Sticks for Kids, which is an organization that the Golf Course Builders Association have uh, to give uh, golf clubs to children. It's the middle of the week. We're in the middle of Ohio. How cool is it to see a lot of your industry friends make time to come out and play in something like this? There were two groups almost every hole. Just how special of a day is this for your, your family and business? Uh, well, it's it's uh, the fact that we're in our 17th year and it continues to grow. And as you said, Guy, you know, you're in the middle of the week. People are busy. Uh, we're not in the halcyon days in 2000s where, you know, there's a lot of extra time and money uh, that you could do things. And so the fact that you've got a dedicated group that, number one, they like each other. Number two, they like uh, the course and the people that host us. And three, they like the cause. Uh, and to be able to do that uh, is, is absolutely fantastic, specifically the diversity of people. We have people from Ohio Caterpillar, obviously. Obviously from GCI, you've got superintendents, uh, you've got club managers, uh, people that from all walks of life in the golf industry that seem to mesh extremely well and for a very, very good cause. So it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Just to set the scene for our listeners, it's about 90 degrees out, and Dr. Hertzen's in heavy wool clothes. It looks like uh, high socks, old leather shoes. I took my tie off. Yeah, at least he took his tie off. Do you do this a lot? Do you like you're you're a golf history buff? I mean, this is just to be exciting to have a day where you can kind of really showcase the history of the game. Yeah, I, we do it because we really want to show our dedication to the doing things the old way and the traditions of the game. David Welchel, who is the czar or the organizer uh, for us, uh, wears period dress as well as I do. Generally, we'll walk 
as well and uh, carry our clubs and do it the old old-fashioned way. Today was a pretty hot day. It got to be about the 10th hole and I said enough walking and uh, taking my tie off and uh, I'm gonna enjoy it but it's still a lot of fun for us so we do try to keep the traditions in every way we can. Speaking of that, we're in 2017. You've been in this for a long time, and Chris, you're, you're still fairly new into this, but you've been doing it for a while too with your father. Just how do you feel golf course architecture is today? Where are we at? Are we, are we still seeing a lot of the traditions in the game and the, and the golf courses that people play? I really believe that golf courses of 2020 are going to look like golf courses of 1920. I think that what we see happening now are uh, golf courses going back to the old ways, uh, trying to to embrace those uh, times when life was a lot simpler and the game was a lot more fun. And uh, so I think there's more of a reversion back to uh, golf courses of the 20s, which we call the golden age of golf course architecture. And specifically, it's the limited resources. You've got to be smart with lesser pieces. You, you know, one bunker uh, well-placed, like the 17th road hole bunker, that puts more fear in any, anyone that plays that course, particularly a great round, than if you had 20 bunkers. And so coming back and, and really thinking about uh, hazard placement, uh, being as judicious as you possible, and that obviously correlates into the cost uh, and reduction of the cost. So that, that's really what the golden age was. You didn't have the resources, so you had to be damn smart about how you spent them, quote unquote, to create a very cerebral golf course. And that's why, again, I agree with him that we're going to go back to good business and good architecture. The both of you have given presentations on what you just talked about. What are some other things besides bunker placement, maybe bunker reduction you can do to reduce maintenance costs? And how can architects like yourself help a facility implement some of these changes? Well, we see um, a couple things. Number one, there's turf reduction as well. There's a lot of green grass out there that doesn't necessarily need to be green, and that we just need to be smart about. And we can track players now with GPS. We can track their golf cars. We know where people are playing, and so now we can start to bring the golf course in. Second thing, what that allows us to do is to save water, fertilizer, pesticide, and fossil fuels. The other thing that we're seeing is a lot more mechanical maintenance. Uh, for a while, we hand mowed greens, and then we triplexed them, then we went back to hand mowing. Now we're going back to triplexing. The state of the equipment has gotten so much better uh, that we can get the green speeds like today, which were very, very quick uh, with triplex mowers. And then we're seeing a lot of GPS controlled uh, equipment as well. So maintenance, some maintenance can be done at nighttime when there are no golfers on the on the facility. And we also have to thank the, the turf scientists who created these incredibly superior cultivars. Uh, they just get better and better and better. I mean, to the point where, you know, eventually you may have something that, you know, instead of a, a low mow, it's no mow. Uh, and it, it, it greens up early uh, and it's resistant to far more than dollar spot and so on. So the inputs that are required to maintain at the level that a competitive golf facility requires can be infinitely less. So it's a combination of the agronomics and what's being provided to the intelligence superintendents today as well as what the architect does with less 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 is more you put the two together that's a powerful combination it's no different than you play somebody on a golf hole you make plus one they make minus one that's a two-shot swing right there so it's a lot of very very good things ahead for the golf industry and really going back as i said to what is quote unquote good sound architecture it's just like good business what are some things you two do as architects to help the superintendent out? You come into a course, you do some work, you see some things. What do you do to help the superintendent out in his day-to-day -day job? 
Well, usually the first thing we'll do is ask the superintendent, where are your trouble spots? Where are, the, where are those things that are causing you to use more resources than you believe are absolutely necessary? And then what we try to do is to bring our experience, our knowledge, creativity all together to help to find a solution. And as Chris suggested earlier, it's form follows function. If we see there's a high traffic area as an example, there must be a reason why everybody's walking in that little narrow spot. So let's try to find a way to spread out that traffic. Uh, and it's, uh, that's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but it, that's what we do is we look at the entire golf course, we look at those trouble spots and try to come up with creative ways of making them better. I made a case study of example, let's say we're going to be involved with bunker renovations. So we have a vision of what the bunker should be and of course the client. The thing you do before you even start, you say, Mr. Superintendent, that's what we're thinking of doing. You're going to have sand flash this high and then you're going to have faces that look like this at this angle and you're going to have radii. That, can you maintain it? Okay, if you can't, why not? What's your So you go back and it's an iterative approach. You don't just say, here's the bunker that the vision that we have and you're going to figure out how to maintain it within whatever your budget is. You work together to say, here's our vision. Do you think as you're standing right here that you can what's the strategy what else would be required is it worth it and so you have these dialogues between not just the architect but the architect as well as superintendent as well as the owner to make sure what's proposed is maintainable so that you're within the operating cost and that's the key so many of the courses we created a long time ago were wonderful courses right off the bat and then it went time to maintain it the revenues weren't there well you can't just you know not not change your oil on your car at some point it's going to catch up with you so making sure it's meshed in a sustainable long-term approach i think it's a myth and maybe it's a stereotype but some people say that interesting can't be functioning but that's certainly not the case what are some ways that you make a functioning feature interesting too well, as an example of bunker uh, as chris gave the ex example of the 17th the road hole bunker at 17th uh, the old course at st andrews one small bunker perfectly placed and and uh, is far better than 20 bunkers that have just been haphazardly placed so we th think a lot about where the ball is going to land, who's going to be playing the ball from there, what's a recovery shot going to be like, because the people are out to have fun. Half the, of our, maybe three quarters of the golfers, see golf as recreation. One quarter may see it as competition. We want those recreation guys to be very, very satisfied first, and we can always challenge the good player. So it's just a matter of placement of hazards and who, who's going to land the ball there and what's the recovery going to be. I suppose the people that say interesting can't be functional uh, don't know how to make it functional so it's a reason uh, versus an excuse I actually that's actually sad that somebody would say that in my opinion because that's absolutely not true and the, and the fact of the matter is is you start with how does it drain start with how do you mow it you start with how is it irrigated and then your job as the architect intelligent architect is to make the visual pizzazz over something that's functional not just go well I guess I don't know how to do that that's someone else's job so that's that's actually disturbing uh you mentioned drainage. What type of drainage work are you seeing? How important is drainage to a golf course? And what are some steps you can guide a golf course through that's thinking about enhancing its drainage? That's the single most important factor uh, for the golf course superintendent. There's an old saying that, you know, if, um, if uh, you uh, that good golf course maintenance is, you know, 95 percent uh, good drainage and 5% common sense. And if you don't have a lot of common sense, put in more drainage. Uh, and that's really, really true. Uh, it begins with well-drained tees. We look at the landing areas and try to slope them and uh, drain them so that 
uh, right after a rain, they can start to be uh, more presentable. Greens are no problem. Bunkers and bunker liners now have made fairway bunkers really, really accessible. The example I'd use is Scioto Country Club. Uh, they played the senior open there. They had uh, Saturday, it rained pretty much all uh, evening. Uh, rained all Sunday. I went out to the golf course at about three o'clock in the afternoon. After about an inch and a half or two inches of rain, the rain stopped. The golf course was playable, except in the fairway areas. Tees, greens, bunkers were in great shape, and that's just good drainage. And let's make a distinction between subsurface drainage, which my father talked about, and surface drainage. I mean, it, there's no confusion that water goes downhill and finds path least resistance, uh, and particularly when you have the benefit of a course that's under construction, you do get rainstorms, and so you have a pretty good idea where that surface water is going to go. Not making mistakes, we see this all the time, as an example, you have an existing drainage swale, someone puts a T right in the middle. Well, now you've got to add drainage subsurface with an inlet uh, on the side of the T uphill where the water would pool, where the T should have been on one side or the other side of the surface. So making sure that you have, the course can drain as, as well as uh, almost intention with purely with surface drainage and then augmenting it with the subsurface and so being smart one example about that is we see over and over where uh, bunkers uh, the watershed of bunkers starts outside the bunker face you have greens that drain into bunkers well at some point someone should have said specifically the architect well geez you know we ought to think about that from a surface flow yes yeah, great the water's getting off the green but then when we get back into the agronomics and, and raising the sand back up uh, and making sure it's playable, the water should diverge around the outside. So nuances like that, but specifically the surface drainage first and then the subsurface drainage to complement. Is there more pressure to get drainage right now than there was 30 years ago because of the demands these golf courses have to produce revenue? I mean, we're at a club today that does 100 outings a year. I mean, how important is it to get that right and make sure the, the clubs have the revenues coming in? Absolutely. There's yeah. probably more pressure on drainage than anything else. Um, is a well-drained club is going to open earlier in the spring. It's going to stay later open in the fall. It's going to be open after, you know, during more days uh, through the summer because of its ability to accept the play. And drainage is just a very, very good investment, uh, very good in business investment. And we're cutting grass shorter now. People have higher expectations. Most people ride golf cars, so we have to let them ride the golf car pretty much all wherever they want to go. So the entire golf course has to be drained well. Yeah, subsurface drainage is a gift that keeps on giving. But one of the problems is 50% of the golf course by cost is typically underground every season. So it's easy to say, ah, forget about that. It's like the internals of transmission until it goes away. So, you know, the issue with that is, so think about this. You Let's say you got an area in a fairway that's under drain and it stays wet, and then it gets so wet that it starts to pump, and then the superintendent can't, uh, can't cut it regularly. So then they rope it off, and now you got an open wet spot with long grass middle of fairway. What I don't do the superintendent any favors, takes them more time to be able to address that area because they're going to mitigate the problem. The golfers certainly don't like it because they go, what are the mess going on over there? The owner doesn't like it either uh, because now they're going to go yell at the superintendent when really it should have been done. The first. So drainage is one of those lubricants in the world that solves a lot of problems if you do it right. Forcing to go back and retrofit, which is where the golf industry is now, you know, uh, particularly greens and things. With, but, but having well-placed subsurfaces, that's again, that's the complement. It can solve a lot of problems long term. The thing about drainage too is it's not very sexy. Uh, nobody sees it. You spend an awful lot of money to put it in and you've got to really understand uh, the economy and construction to make it uh, most efficient. And unfortunately it's one of those things that 
sometimes club members aren't eager to do until they see the issue. They would rather have something that looks fancy on the surface rather than worry about what's subsurface. We're gonna change topics a little. This has been a really exciting year for your business. You got to host the US Open, that was about a month ago. Yes. Now that you've had some time to reflect on it, what was that experience like going through that and seeing the world's best golfers play one of your golf courses on that type of stage? Well, we were there for eight days. And uh, from the day we got there to see all of the structures that have been built to accommodate uh, the spectators, uh, to see the world famous golfers there, you know, hitting balls and practicing and all of the television and news outlets that were there. It was, it was surreal on the Sunday before even the practice started. And then throughout that eight days, it never got any less enchanting. Um, personally for us, uh, if there was ever a, a one week where we could feel like rock stars, uh, that was it. Everybody treated us nice and we were signing autographs for everybody and on anything you could think of and uh, people were exceedingly nice. And I think it's because the golf course presented itself well, the players enjoyed it, uh, and uh, the, the Wisconsin people are the best. They just, they just love people and uh, that, that carried a lot of aura as well. And I got to be careful and couch my answer, as you know, that as my father and Dana and Ron were the designers of the course, and Jason Strake and I have been very sensitive about that, making sure credits place where credits do. But yeah, just what was it like seeing your father have, have that can, type of yeah, weekend moment? And so yeah. I can say on that regard is that he used the word surreal. I've used the words uh, surreal and normal. It's normal in that we grew up. I grew up in the golf industry. I mean, since five years old, I've been on uh, a construction site, and so I've I've seen the players, I've seen the people. I mean, he's become friends. I'm almost 36 years old but you gotta remember I, these are people I've known since the beginning of time and of course the surreal is the fact that you know it's a US Open and you know the significance of the of the course the fact that you have living architects the fact that it's being so well received and that it's the spotlight is so beyond the brightness of anything that you could possibly have anywhere else and to see everybody that you know you love so much and, and they and they care about in, in a position like that where there's genuine sincere uh, appreciation praise from your colleagues. I don't think that gets any better. Uh, and so for me to just be a witness to that is, uh, of course, unforgettable. And then to have our family there, just as Jason and, and Dana and Ron had their families there, this is, this is once in a lifetime. And uh, it's an absolute, it's an absolute honor. How did you think the golf course played? Were you surprised that the, the numbers were that low? No, we, we expected if there was no win mm -hmm. and the golf course was wet, that there would be low numbers. And we didn't know how low, we knew they'd be low. If the golf course was dry and firm and the wind blew, the numbers were gonna be high. So there's no question that uh, Brooks Kepka earned the right to be uh, the United States Open champion. The guy is a phenomenal golfer. But you gotta realize that number one, two, and three you know, we're slamming the trunk on Friday and headed to the next uh, tournament site. So it was not an easy golf course. There's no doubt, you know, golf is about competition and good competition, whether they're 16 over or 16 under. I understand that the prevailing mantra of the U.S. Open is the fact that it's it just beats your brains out. And that, and you're going to see a lot more of that with the next three or four Opens. So uh, for those that, you know, go to the races to see the cars crash uh, rather than the actual racing, they will certainly have plenty of, of sadistic pleasure there. But, you know, but from a purely competitive, wow, everybody has a shot at this, I, I, this is just a fantastic venue. I didn't really care if it was 26 under, to be honest. 
So this year has been an exacta for you guys. Ottawa Hunt Club is going to host the LPGA Canadian Championship. How special is that to see the best women's players on the world too on one of your golf courses? Yeah, well, that's yeah. That, that, to me that's almost as special as the U.S. Open. To be real honest, um, the Ottawa Hunt uh, was originally designed by Willie Park Jr. Another architect had come in a, a few decades back and made some alterations. We tried to take it back to the to the to the old Willie Park concept. Uh, but to allow for the modern golfer. Seeing the gals there will be phenomenal. Uh, I was made an honorary member at the same time that uh, Brooke Henderson was made an honorary member and her sister Brittany. And uh, so I have a, a very special interest in watching uh, Brooke Henderson play um, because she's a fellow honorary member of Ottawa Hunt. But it'll be wonderful to see the best women players in the world attack that golf course. It'll be as exciting as US Open for me. When you are a part of a team, but a significant part that's responsible for bringing in a venue to a course, just you know, ask Reese Jones what that feels like to be the open doctor and to make modifications that result in an improved image and desirability of that course. To know that Herdson was part of, maybe a significant part of, if we can break from humility, that course receiving that honor, aside from all the politics, that, that is absolutely the most rewarding uh, that, that, uh, that you could possibly receive because, again, it's being appraised by your colleagues. You're being praised by LPGA, the membership that's at Ottawa, and people that really understand and know golf, the connoisseurs. When the connoisseurs give you a compliment, that is at the highest level. And all the television viewers and spectators. Yeah. It's going to be a wonderful golf course to watch, a wonderful tournament to watch. And I would say that this summer has kind of epitomized what you guys are all about. Here we are at Golf Club of Dublin today, and there were dozens of kids out here learning the game. And then you have this outing and a bunch of us average golfers out there, and then the best male players and the best female players. And I, I would think that when you look back on your life's work, you're going to think, man, I, I did something for everybody. We've been absolutely blessed. Last year we had the Senior Open at Scioto after we fully remodeled it. And then we had the best male players at the, uh, the U.S. Open. And now uh, they have the LPGA Canadian Open. So we're seeing the seniors, the best men, and the ladies. And um, it, it is an absolute thrill. Yeah, when you give pleasure to millions of people, what other what other profession can you do that? Yeah, I mean the memories. Just think of the memories you've had, guy, on a golf course, uh, and just one course. But to do that through you know 400 projects now, 60 years, uh, it is. It, it's, it's almost overwhelming. It's impossible to compute sometimes. It's how many gallons in a swimming pool. I mean, it, it really is that powerful. Uh, and it's almost too much for a human to handle, I think, if you truly understand what you have given uh, people and, and the great time and, and experience that they have. So, uh, and you're absolutely right. It's whatever golf course architect lives to do. So what's next? What's something you haven't done that you would like to do? Well, I think that sometime it would be wonderful to do a golf course in, in Great Britain. Um, Scotland or Ireland or England, we've, we've come close on a few times, we've never had that right now. Uh, but that's such a lofty goal that I really don't expect that. We have a, a wonderful project in Westfield Center, Ohio, for the Westfield Insurance Company. It's a 36-hole remodel. They've given us basically carte blanche to take two ordinary golf courses and make them extra special. And we think that the plans that we've developed, we're in the construction now, will accomplish that.
And how about you, Chris? What, what is something you'd like to do? You're younger in the business. What yeah. would you like to do with the firm in the future? I am so proud and, and admittedly envious of the talents of McClay Kidd and Doak uh, and, and Hans uh, at the opportunity. And they've earned it, again. Uh, and mm -hmm. so it's so pleased for them. But the opportunity for Herdson to have a shot at one of the sites like a Cabot or a Bandon or a String Song or a Barn Boogle, something where you have the, the sand uh, and you have the ocean uh, and you have the altitude and you have the owner that says do what you want uh, I, I think that and that's what every architect I think wants having that absolutely perfect the Cypress Point site Mackenzie thought when he had that opportunity I mean, you stand there and go you can't make a bad golf course here Aaron was great again for my father and Dana and Ron but again you, when you lack in mountains and you lack the ocean that's the off-site view so I hope that you know when I'm his age 40 years from now that maybe we got so lucky to at least have one shot at the absolute ideal site, which again is what every golf course architects uh, chase. And those guys have just done, done an unbelievable job uh, of exploiting the potential of each one of those. Last thing, Dr. Herzen, when Chris is your age and the people in the business are your age, what do you think they, they'll be doing? What do you think the opportunities will be in 30, 40 years? Well, the game of golf is over 600 years old, and it's not going to go away. It, there's a magic to it when people get started, and, and it, maybe it grew a little bit uh, too quickly, uh, especially with the housing developments and all of that. But I think that there will always be an influx of golfers. There will always be need for golf course architects to uh, bring golf courses up to a higher standard, whether it's uh, and, uh, resource conservation or make them a more exciting or make them more fun to play. And I think Chris is learning all those fundamentals and he'll be applying them in a different way, you know, 30 or 40 years from now. But his list of accomplishments and bringing people into the game and allowing them to enjoy nature's great outside uh, will be just the same. So you're saying that there'll still be a healthy demand for golf course architects in the future? Well, I think there'll be a healthy demand for golf course architects in the future who have the understanding of the functional aspects of a golf course, who are extraordinarily creative in how they achieve that and have a great artistic sense. And I think you've got to put all of those together. Uh, and you can't just have a, a two-legged stool. It's got to be a three-legged stool. And, and the architects that have those skills will be successful. Sounds good to you, right, Chris? Oh, he, yeah, he absolutely. He's spot on. You know, the fact is, Guy, uh, golf courses are a biological entity. They live and they die. And fortunately, it uh, keeps all of us in business. Uh, they may not die, they wear out. Uh, and so between, you know, wealthy people uh, that need to express themselves other than watches and cars and so on, uh, it was the country club memberships, and then, you're, you know, your average daily few golfer just wants to get outside. Golf courses constantly need to be rejuvenated, and absolutely, it sounds good. I would not be here uh, if I didn't believe that. Well, thanks a lot for the time. Thanks a lot for having us to, the, to this wonderful outing and congratulations on all your success this year. I know it's been an exciting summer for you and it's going to get more exciting here in a few weeks. Thank you very much, Guy. This is, uh, thanks for taking an interest in us and our golf and what we're doing for the charitable work and uh, the fact that we've had some really wonderful successes in this last few years. The fact that you and Pat and everybody was here uh, as you have been regularly and everything that GCI does. So uh, enough about us, but thank you for doing what you do. We mean that sincerely.